Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Nigeria expels 2 million illegal aliens. Klaus Barbie, SS chief in Nazi-occupied France, is arrested in Bolivia. And the IOC restores Jim Thorpe's Olympic medals 70 years after they were taken from him after being paid $25 in a semi-pro baseball game. This is January 1983, and you're listening to What the Rip. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And Bruce is bringing us this classic album. All right. I got something to say. It's better to burn out than fade away. Right. You must be talking about Nirvana. Well, you thought it was Flock of Seagulls when it started, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I, was, I was totally, totally convinced. <laughs> So this, ladies and gentlemen, is Def Leppard. Steve Clark is on guitar. Rick Savage on bass. Rick Allen, the Wonder Kid, is on drums. Pete Willis is on rhythm guitar. Newcomer Phil Collin is on guitar. And frontman is Joe Elliott. So you're listening to Rock Rock Till You Drop. This is the lead track off the album, and I mean, it's just a pretty straightforward rock anthem. I have a, you know, I have, to, I have a confession, I guess, though, for lack of a better term. I had never heard of Def Leppard before this album. Well, a lot of people, that, that's true of a lot of people. Well, this was the breakout album. Yeah. And, and obviously, Photograph was the one that everybody's heard of and saw, and, you know, with obviously the gorgeous woman walking around on that video but yeah there were two other albums actually i've got on the database to go in through in, was it in through the night yeah was was one of the albums i love them but you're correct i discovered them with this album and they went back and looked at the, okay. other, the two previous albums well, i'm glad to know that i wasn't the only one here that yeah. didn't yeah. know who they were until this album no that's that's right the uh so they started in 1977. Uh, they were in a band called Atomic Mass, uh, and they were young at that time. I mean, Joe Elliott had, was 18, so uh, they were young in 77. And they, Elliott proposed the name Def Leppard, and he spelled it correctly. Uh, and then their then drummer Tony Kenning suggested changing the spelling to Def D E F Leopard L E P P A R D. Uh, and uh, just before they started recording in November 78, Kenning left the band. And he was replaced by Rick Allen. And Rick Allen was only 15. Yeah, I was going to say, I the thought time. they had a 15 year old. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. So, I mean, the whole band was young, but I mean, 15 yeah. in a rock band? Wow. So, they were part of the British New Wave heavy metal scene. Um, and they recorded an EP, a Def Leppard EP, and then they recorded On Through the Night, 
uh, which came out in 1980. They got some flack on that one because um, they had they were moving toward an American audience. Oh, uh-huh. I mean, one yeah, of they the, had a song. I think it was "Hello America." Yes. It's yes. Like, like, hey guys, come on, we're over here. Can we be a little more obvious? So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that was the thing. They were playing toward an American audience, and then their second album is "High and Dry." And that was released in 1981, and that's where they got bringing on the heartache. So. Okay, yeah, that was their minor hit. That you know, yeah. it got some play, but it just, you know, it's like everybody else. It's like ACDC wasn't really known until they got the you know Highway to Hell, and right. then they exploded. Then people went back yeah. and looked at their other stuff. Exactly, and then they exploded, and this is the album that exploded yeah. for All right, Def lis- Leppard. Listen to this. All right, imagine yourself in a. In the round. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. This is the. This is a deeper cut, but I wanted to feature this one because I went to the Hysteria tour, and this is how they opened up the the show. Is uh, they started with this. They um, they had uh, Elliot kind of off in the distance. Everything's in the round, so you got people on all sides, right. and they're coming up from the stage, and uh, the lights go down, and you hear him say, I said a welcome to my show, like that. Fantastic. Lit it up, huh? Oh, the crowd went wild, man. I saw a comment on song meetings that apparently in a BBC interview a few years back, the band confirmed that this song is actually about picking up groupies at the show. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Tef well, Leppard, did y'all see well, that? Well, when you're 15 and join a band, there's only yeah. one thing in your mind. Well, that's the thing I was thinking about with, with these folks. I mean, I watched that, um, I think the Hysteria Tour was in like 1987. Yeah. I mean, they they would have all been under 30 at the time. And uh, yeah, they were they were pretty legendary with the with the groupies and the... Well, know, they bragged about it. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if y'all saw there was a there was a um, kind of a, a rockumentary yeah, type of thing I saw it. on on Def Leppard. I a saw few it years back. Yeah, they used to. Uh, I mean, not to get too crude, but the, mm-hmm. the groupies were waiting underneath the stage. Yeah, and when they would have a somebody have a solo, they all be go underneath the stage, being taken care of. Right. Exactly. And that's as far as I'm going to go. Can't can't wait to get backstage, you know. <laughs> no, this is I don't under the stage. Right, right. I don't want to do a solo. <laughs> How come I have to keep doing the solo? <laughs> do I have right, to go back on do stage? Do a ten-minute solo. <laughs> drum solo, yeah. But I don't like it. One arm drum solo. <laughs> so this song, I don't know if I mentioned it is. This is called Stage Fright, and it is a deeper cut. There are two huge songs from this album. There's there's Photograph, which we already did. I did that as a staff pick uh, sometime back. And uh, the other one is um, Rock of Ages. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. We're not going to do it. It turned into a movie. It, it did. So um, the, uh, the Rock of Ages, I will say this. I remember exactly where I was at when I heard that song mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah, where? So I was, I was at high school. I was sitting in Chris Conley's car, known as Chocolate Thunder, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and we were just listening to the radio. I think we were waiting on maybe a de- uh, starting a going off to a debate or something. And this song came on that went Gunther Lieben Glauben Globen, <laughs> and 
you know, it, we just looked at each other like, okay, what is this? <laughs> Who did not have this cassette tape in their car, Pyromania? I had the album and I transferred to cassette. I mean, there you go. I, I did not. I'll be honest. I did not. I had a box of cassettes, and this mm-hmm. was, this was worn out. You know what's funny about Def Leppard is the first three albums, like you said, were that kind of proto heavy metal type stuff. This was I considered this heavy metal at the time. Yeah, it's more of kind of hard rock. Hysteria and the the albums after that, they became from a a kind of a guy heavy metal group to more of a kind of a female. I guess group that mm-hmm. people like to follow. Uh oh, we're under attack. Yeah, this one is a Naldo Nova. Yeah, I don't think there's any um, any uh, leopard skin pants. Oh no. This is a little more serious than most of the songs. What's this one called? This is called Die Hard the Hunter. Isn't that and a movie? There is a movie, The Hunter. Oh. There's the Deer Hunter, which oh, yeah. is a book. That's right. But uh, this is, uh, it's it's about war and about post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a uh, ah. returning soldier that can't leave the war behind. Mm. And that's that's a little unusual. Most of the most of the Def Leppard songs are, are kind of um, almost an ACDC kind of approach. I want to rock kind of, kind mm-hmm. of a feel. But they but used a producer from ACDC, I think, on one of their albums. Well, the, Mutt Lang? You mentioned that Mutt Lang is the yeah. producer on this. He was the producer on High and Dry, then he produced this one, and he produced Hysteria. So a lot of people give Mutt Lang the credit for how big Def Leppard became. Mm-hmm. You can hear a little bit of ACDC back there. You know, I mean, it is. Yeah. This hits you in the face, a lot of this. It is. And I do. I think Wayne was talking about how the, the albums go. I consider this a transition album. Um, you've got harder rocking songs like Stage Pride and Rock Rock Till You Drop, and then you've got more MTV-friendly songs like uh, Photograph and Rock of Ages, you know. Um, but uh, this one, the big hit uh, that was Photograph, and it knocked Beat It off of the most requested videos on MTV. Hmm. Now, if you think about it, that was quite a feat. Oh, yeah. Michael Jackson could do no wrong. Oh, he was. It was. He was. Oh, young. wait a minute. The only reason why Beat It got real good is because Eddie Van Halen on that. Ah, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Had nothing to do with the dancing or anything. You mentioned hearing these songs. Mm-hmm. We had a friend, still a friend, Blaine Camp. Yeah. And he had a station wagon, and he was the guy that would pick up all the, all of us, and we'd give him gas money, and we'd go up the Greens Corner, or we'd go, you know. Just drive around listening to Def Leppard on quite a few occasions, just jamming it. Absolutely. A lot of fun. What, a, what a memory, huh? Yeah, yeah. All right, now, and Wayne brought up the point that I, I need to ask people because there were two different schools of thought on the cassettes. Did you buy the cassette to play in your car, or did you buy the album and transfer it onto cassette? For the most part, I, I like to buy the album and transfer it because I wanted to be able to listen to the album in mm-hmm. my room on my stereo, but the, the cassette was portable. Right. When CDs came out, I always bought the CD right. and gave it to my friend Doug Aiken to, to record it onto Maxell Gold uh-huh. oh, yeah. cassettes. To, you know, and then I did my own artwork for the, 
covers of, the, of my cassette. Well, the How reason why you? you wanted an album was because there may be some songs you didn't want entirely on this, so you kind of, I mean, a lot, at the time, you'd fast forward through those. So you'd make your own cassette tape of this, and you may just pull a couple of songs off mm-hmm. and have other groups on the same, you know, your mixtape. Your mixtape, yeah. yeah. How about yeah. you, Bruce? Well, I, I was I was too cheap myself, so I would always buy the cassette because, you know, you just record it once. And But oh, I had a lot of friends that were kind of audiophiles, right? And you get a better quality with the, the, vinyl, the vinyl, and you can record it on a better quality cassette, yes. So, you, like you were mentioning with Doug Aiken. But I'm going to go cheaper than that. Yeah. I used to be a member of the club that you could buy. Columbia ten, House. Columbia yes. House. Buy the 10 <laughs> cassettes for a, a penny uh-huh. as long as you, the next three years, bought three or four or five or have any cassettes at full price. I collected a slew of cassettes. Oh, I'll, well, now, we did, too. Now, I'll tell you, we did that a little bit later than most. But uh, Sandy and I, when we first got married, got, got joined BMG. You know, uh-huh. they, never, the they never yeah. checked your name. And I did that with several different names that, you know, Zonker Harris was a name I used one time. I go, don't you read Doonesbury? You know, but no, it still came. So I had like multiples of those I collected big time. And I think BMC, BMC was it or BMG? It was was like you'd get six and then you only had to buy one. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot better than Columbia House. It was was real easy to to meet the requirements of BMG. And let's face it, the quality that Columbia House versions that were released to they were not nearly as what you would get in the store right. I, I understood that yeah. but i didn't care i had my cassette play in my car and, and i brought out my suitcase boom boom i had a whole i had my own radio station there you go yeah by this time eight tracks have already disappeared oh, yeah yeah and One cds other- didn't make its presence at least in my life until 1989 yeah one other thing i'll mention about def leppard and this album um pete willis was uh, was on the uh, on rhythm guitar on, on all of these tracks, but he was not actually a member of the group when Pyromania was released. So Pete Willis was fired from the band for quote excessive alcohol abuse wow. unquote. It's just toward the end of the recording, and then he was replaced by Phil Collins. And yeah. Phil Collins was kind of a guitar virtuoso. And you was that before or after he left Genesis? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was his cousin. That was his cousin. Slightly different. Not Collins. Colin. <laughs> I love the way their songs end. Yeah. I mean, they got yeah. a boom. Yep. Oh, it's solid, isn't it? Yeah. Now this is the first song that I, that it, I was introduced to Def Leppard. This is I, that's my memory of this song. I went, who is I that? I love the acoustics of this. My memory of this song is playing it. This is when I was a DJ at WGL Weagle Radio at Auburn, and this was on Hot Rotation. We had different rotations on mm-hmm. on there, and this album was on Hot Rotation. So I would always like move that album up because it just went linear. You're supposed to pull the closest album to the front, and I just first thing I do is go through it, and I go, okay, these are the four or five albums going there, and this was one of the albums. And this was the song I played all the time because it builds, mm-hmm. and you're sitting there just going, uh oh. Their harmonies are great too. Yeah, yeah. So I this s- is this is fooling, and uh, this is the uh, of the songs that I'm playing today. This is the most popular of them. The, this is their third the third single from the album. So if if it gives you a sense. 
this is the fourth song we've done. We have not done the two big songs. This this album is loaded. Oh yeah, front to back. Great this is a great. Songs. I mean, really, I'm gonna say those first four albums are mm-hmm. must have if you're even close to a Def Leppard fan. Yeah. All uh, I, we talked about, Hello America. That is a great song. Mm-hmm. Off a of high and dry. There's a song called No No No, which is interesting. Is that it's the last song. And you know how on a record the groove goes all the way to the center? Yep. Well, they record it all the way to the center, so it just keeps on going, no, 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 no. <laughs> you had to have the vinyl for that one. Yeah. Didn't you? Yes. When you mentioned earlier about this being migrating kind of to a, chi- a chick band. You know, yeah, it evolved. A- Hysteria, it, it did this. This was one of the songs that kind of... And that sticks with me because that's what I thought when I heard this. Because guess who introduced me to this album and oh, to really? this? It was three girls. Huh. Go, so I always associated Def Leppard as a chick band, well, which they is were, wrong. They were very good looking oh, yeah. guys. I mean, you got to admit that. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, MTV helped them out a yes. lot, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That then and the the lyrics I can see that because some of the lyrics are on and on. We rode the storm. The flame has died and the fire is gone. Oh, this empty bed is a is a night alone. I realized that long ago. Yeah. Do you really care? The other thing that I think makes this song so awesome: more cowbell. cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen to that. Now, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to Def Leppard. I'm assuming that soon, at some point we're going to pick up the Hysteria album and kind of cover the rest of the story on that. But I will say Def Leppard has never been out of favor. I mean, they've, they've come up with several albums after Hysteria, yeah. and almost all of their albums go into the top 15. Mm-hmm. So um, they're, they're, they're one of those super groups that has just continued uh, Still touring. They're touring. I mean, I've seen them in concert with, you know, they, they, they're they more of a classic rock. I saw them, I think it was with Sticks, and I forget, there was another group. Recently, was it was with Journey. I yeah. saw them with Journey a couple years ago. It was yeah. really good. Yeah. I thought they did better than Journey. But Def Leppard's the headliner. I mean, I've got to give it to them. They, they are the headliner. To me, it's kind of a funny thing. The stammer. Yeah. The yeah. Stam- yeah. And There's a few songs that are like that. You Ain't Seen Nothing Let Yet yeah. is one of them. Uh, my, my, my Sharona. My, my, my generation. Yeah. But let's, let's give credit where credit's due, where credit is due, guys. Mutt Lang is one hell of a producer. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, look at his look at his uh, charts. I mean, he's he's got huge mega hits. Up and down is okay. Uh, I'm, I'm putting hysteria on the database. Do it, do it. We'll keep it. We'll get it going again. All right, I'll have to take in through the out. Thanks to the night out. Thanks so much, Bruce. We really appreciate yes, that, indeed. man. Now we're getting into our entertainment track, brought to us by Right Column Financial. Do you recognize this theme song from January of 1983? I pity the fool. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Mr. T. There we go. Has uh, his TV debut with the A Team. You guys remember what night that used to come on? Tuesday. Tuesday. I thought it was Friday night. I'm just guessing. I want to say it was Friday nights because I remember I, Tuesday, I, but I could very, very I, I well be wrong. I just remember watching it. Just, just it, it was being in college, 
and having to study a lot, and I just was just brain dead. And I wanted to watch something that was just completely, just was, there was no thinking at all involved <laughs> in watching right. this. I, uh, I, I still use the line from uh, Hannibal, uh, I love it when a plan comes together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who were some of the big actors in that uh, show? Of course, Mr. T, but. George George Pappard? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a classical actor from, yeah. from way back. You know, I've seen him in tons of films before that. And it's unusual for a, a movie star to go to yeah. television back in those days. Something kind of interesting is at hospitals, they call the administrative team at the hospital the A-team. Yeah. So I, when I started working with hospitals and I would hear that, we got to present this to the A-team, and I'm, like, feeling a little <laughs> bit uh, unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> Who's some? Who's the other actors in the in the show besides those two? I don't. I don't remember. Oh, you who had uh, you had uh, was, uh, uh, Mad Murdoch. Was that his name? The the yeah. helicopter pilot. I don't remember the actor's yeah. name. I can see his face. I just can't yeah. remember the name. And then there was another one that was the face, and I I can't remember him. He kind of had looked like the the guy from uh, that played Starbuck in. Um, yeah. All right, also uh, debuting in uh, January of 1983, Fraggle Rock. I was way too old for that. So that was the Muppets for the smaller generation. I remember the name. I never watched it. Now, this was an unusual TV show that debuted because it was more of uh, syndicated. Mama's Family. Yes. Oh, remember? yeah. Oh, that was the... Uh, uh, Vicky Lawrence. Vicky Lawrence from Vic- uh, Carol yeah. Burnett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a spinoff exactly. from the Carol Burnett show, exactly. wasn't it? Exactly, but Ken Berry was in that. And she was she was Mama, yeah, and Thelma Harper, and we actually spotlighted her at what the ref for what song? Uh, uh, night, um, jo- uh, night delight spin out yes. in Georgia. That's correct. It? it had the word night in Georgia in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, film of January 1983, Extro. It was uh, a British science fiction horror film where a father was abducted by aliens and returns three years later to. <laughs> There we have it. Mm-hmm. House on Sorority Row. I mean, come on, your slasher movie. And Treasure of the Four Crowns. It was a ripoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. That, that was a successful franchise. And it was so much of a ripoff. Guess what they were had to get Dodge out of the way from? A boulder. But they kicked it up one notch. It was on fire. Ah, <laughs> a burning boulder. <laughs> so that was our entertainment uh, track from January of 1983. Now we're going into staff picks, and Wayne's going to lead us off. This is a good one. And this was probably the second song when I was on the air that I would play because this kicked butt. It was like, it wasn't heavy metal. It was that early 80s rock and roll that you just wanted to have. And it was an earlier song by Night Ranger. And when this song came on, Wayne, the volume in my car, or in my where I was listening to it, it definitely went up. Yeah, this is an awesome song. The song is Don't Tell Me You Love Me. Why? Because I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I just love the way that you use me. Yes. Just use me. I just don't want to know that you're in love with me. We have not featured them as an uh, album yet. No, and not, this is a great album, by the way. Dawn yeah. Patrol. This, yeah. I think this and is their first yeah, album. Yeah, it is their debut album. That's correct. Wonderful album. Love it. This was written by the lead singer, Jack Blades. And we talked about him going off and uh, teaming up with Tommy Shaw and, and, and Ted Nugent and having mm-hmm. Damn Yankees eventually after 
Oh, they're kind of gross. Damn Yankees will make yep. an appearance soon. Listen to that, just that wall of sound. I mean, yeah. just all this stuff going. Going full tilt, too. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the two things about this group that I remember distinctly, one is they have two lead guitarists. And so, you know, it's easier for them to do the wall of sound live. Mm. The other thing is their uh, their drummer, much like Phil Collins, their drummer sings mm. on some of the songs. So, you know, you'll have that. Well, they're originally called Ranger, but they had to change the name because somebody else had them had that name. So. Oh, okay. Was it Ranger Rick? <laughs> oh. They at that time they were opening up for Sammy Hagar, and just as a band that really didn't even have an album. Their first five albums actually sold over ten million copies. So I mean, in the eighties they were kicking butt. Yeah. They had a lot of good albums. Uh, I'm I'm assuming the next album is going to be. The one yeah. with Sister Christian. Midnight Madness. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. going to be one that everybody's going to end up going on. Now, another song on this album, Sing Me Away. Um, it did not It did not get on the top 40. This one did. This one did uh, make the top 40. It was number 40 on the top charts, but Sing Me Away was not. Sing Me Away was such a great song. I'm gonna. That'll be one of my staff picks one of these days. I like this little pick point in here. The thing is, is, is this thing, they're just going to town on the Yeah. Thing Man, that's crazy. Little bridge. And this. And that synthesizer. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the synthesizer. You guys know that. They do such a good job here of keeping it balanced, though. It's it not, is. It's not synthesizer heavy. Agreed. But it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a nice addition to the song. Mm-hmm. Well... As I, as I said, this song does not have a whole lot of uh, lyrics. Don't Tell You Love Me is main thing on there. But you can see him. He's just, it's just getting bigger, 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 bigger. There they're off again. In the video, they're in front of a, a on a train tracks with a, a train supposedly coming at them. Oh. So. We'll post that on our Facebook page yeah. for sure. Now, Jack Blades is the one singing. He's the bassist. Um. Drummer is Kelly Keekley. Guitarist Brad Gillis is on there just kicking butt, the one that's just doing this. Mm-hmm. The keyboardist is Alan Fitzgerald. He was used to be with Montrose. That explains the Sammy Hagar connection yeah. then, doesn't it? Exactly. And then Jeff Watson was another guitarist, so there were dual guitars going on there. And you see it, it you watch the video, you see them both just kind of trading guitar licks and the other one would go. It was, it's, a, it's a fun video. They, they benefited from MTV as well. Yeah. A very photogenic band. I've seen them in concert. It was amazing. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Yeah, I like the way uh, that Another great ending, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, guys. So I'm bringing this one here. What you got, Rob? So this is from Bob Seeger, his album, The Distance which was released in December of 1982, and this is when this single hit the charts. He had a lot of hits. Uh, his biggest one on this album was Shame on the Moon, mm-hmm. and it hit mm. number one. Great song. This is his follow-up single, Even Now. It made it to number 11. This is a really good album. Yeah, it really is. I'll tell you something uh, interesting about it is... He used a lot of musicians on this album. Oh, yeah? I, I was looking at, you know, what's, 
What's the personnel? Well, you got Bob Seeger on guitars, you got Chris Campbell on bass, you got Craig Frost on keyboards, Alto Reed on saxophone. Then you've so it's four guys. Then you've got the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. Okay. Five yeah, we, guys. we talked yeah. about that before. Then he's got a note additional musicians, eleven <laughs> additional musicians, including Glenn Fry on harmony. Uh, and Don Felder on this track, a fellow Michiganian. Oh, interesting. And then additional vocals, six of note. Bonnie Ray. Oh, I'm talking about the album mm-hmm. uh, on the on the song "Making Thunderbirds." But I just thought, with that many musicians, he's bringing them all together for this. Album. And all of them in a little small town in Alabama, <laughs> yeah. up near Huntsville. Yeah. You know, so Bob Seger's from Detroit. Um, I was reading up on him. I chose this because I really didn't know a whole lot about Bob Seger. But he was an athlete. He played oh, really? football. He actually did some competitive sailing. He had a sailboat and <laughs> would sail it in competitions. Well, yeah, I have a lake called Michigan right there off the yeah. exactly. outside of Detroit. So. Yeah. And sailing does take me away from, yeah. from where you're going. <laughs> so in 1969, one of his first hits was Rambling Gambling Man. And yeah, we, we spotlighted. I did I did the spotlight on that back in the and day. People kind of thought of him as a one-hit wonder at that point. But then in 1976, my favorite song, Night, Night Moves. Moves. Night Moves. Yes, oh, great yes, album, yes. too. Still played today fre- frequently. That one will today. make an appearance, too. I've already got that one. Hollywood up. Nights was another one. And that was on a, about a breakup, if I recall, of his. That so, one is off of this album, if I remember was right. Was it? He, he, um, he helped... He worked on a project with the Eagles. They were doing their long run album, and they didn't have a chorus for a song that Glenn Fry was working on. Mm-hmm. And so they called Bob Seeger and said, "Can you help us with this?" And it oh, became "Heartache Tonight." <laughs> oh, that was the number one song by them too. Yep. It was the last wow. number one, last uh, single. And of course, you think of him, Detroit, blue collar. What's the thing he's done in advertising? Oh, I like uh, like a rock. Like a rock. Yeah, I mean, he's got hooks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's really prolific. And in in 1979, he wrote "Old Time Rock and Roll," yeah, which of course hit it big in 1983. Risky, Risky business. business. Risky business. Yes. Apparently, it almost didn't make the album when he when he put it together. He really didn't like it. it was written by a guy named George Jackson from Alabama. And uh, on their Stranger in Town album, and Bob Seger liked the chorus, uh, but he wa- he rewrote the verses, and he didn't think it was going to go anywhere, so he didn't give himself songwriting credits. Huh? <laughs> so he missed out on a bunch of oops. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And then in 1987, probably his latest biggest hit was Shakedown from yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 2. You yeah. guys remember that? I do. Yeah. 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 That was a good song. Another tie-in to Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry was originally going to sing that because he had The Heat Is On from Beverly Hills Cop. In the first one, the yeah. first one. So they asked him to do that. He didn't like it. And so they ended up giving it to Bob Seger to do. How about Shakedown. that? Shakedown. And that was pretty good, too. But yeah, this is It is a similar sound, too, between Jim Glenn Fry and, and, and Must Bob, be that Detroit connection between the two of them. Could be. Could yeah. be, yeah. But they obviously work together. Anyway, I thought it was pretty interesting learning about him. Good wow. stuff. Good Thank stuff. you, Rob. Let's keep it rocking. Well, we may do a little rock, but it's not. It's more R and B than it is rock, there, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're bringing it down again. Oh, you guys know that this song is. But yes, 
Absolutely. And uh, Rob, I know, has probably one of your favorite songs. <laughs> He's a great musician. I yes, he is. That. does listen, have a Calypso type feel. But listen know. to that. That's the Roland TR-808 drum oh, yeah? machine. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the very first mainstream hits to actually use that device. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can hear it throughout the song. Yep. And Marvin Gaye actually worked with a guy, uh, Gordon Banks, who was one of the collaborators on programming it. So that's really, I didn't know this until hmm. I, I looked at my song facts research. And this is one of the very first mainstream. This is cool, which I think is great. I've got a confession to make, though. This was not, I did not like this song when it first came out. Any reason why? I, I don't know. Just, I, I just did just didn't hit me. I mean, I was more into the rock music yeah. and, and things, and this was a little bit more R&B, but I don't know. It's really grown on me over time. Yeah. Marvin Gaye as a whole has grown on it, me. It, it, it honest, I remember it making me uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. Just hearing sexual okay. healing and thinking, like if I'm in the car with my mom driving somewhere and yeah. the song comes on, I'm like, well, that's not, yeah. Yeah. I, I can get that. It's yeah. weird. But this, is, this song was written actually in 1981 while Marvin Gaye was spending some time in Ostend, Belgium, because he was trying to get over his drug habit mm. Mm. so he calls his friend david ritz and david ritz you may or may not recognize that name but david ritz did a lot of uh, writing collaborating with musicians especially in the r&b field mm. and he wanted him to come over and help him he wanted to write a, a biography on him and and ritz had written biographies for aretha franklin buddy guy uh, Char- uh ray charles all these so he, he had a, R&B you know, greats. yeah and so he was going to do a song called, or not a song, his, his biography was going to be called Divided Soul. Hmm. And, you know, Marvin was the son of a preacher, mm-hmm. or as Dusty Springfield said, son of a preacher man. Thank you. Thank you, Dusty. Uh, so anyway, he was going to do that. And when, when Ritz got to, the, to the, where he was staying, he noticed this huge collection of pornography. And basically, Ritz suggests to him, said, Marvin, you need some sexual healing. He goes, Oh really? Wait hey, a minute. So somebody get me a pen. <laughs> well, it's something like that. It, it's kind of along that same line, Bruce. But basically, Marvin said, well, "Why don't you come up with some lyrics?" So David Ritz wrote the song and gave it to Marvin, oh, and he really? made a couple of mo- modifications. And this is what you're hearing. But unfortunately, <laughs> when the album Midnight Blue was released, mm-hmm. and on the song credits on the album, his name was not on there at all. David, David Ritz, Ritz. They basically said he gave credit for his influence. So Ritz, Ritz sues, mm-hmm. and as we all know the story, after the tour, or as the tour was c- concluding, Marvin Gaye fell back into his drug habit, mm. and he goes to L.A. to live with his parents, and on April 1 of 1984, his father kills him, mm. shoots him in his bed, mm. and that was three or maybe four weeks after I saw him in concert. Oh, wow. It was, it still shakes me to this day, mm. but... His father claimed self-defense because there's, you know, he was strung out on coke. We all yeah, know. Right. I mean, that's so. There's no telling what he did or said. But the story was from Marvin's camp was that he was defending his mother from his father's abuse. That may have happened. Yeah. But still, if you physically attack somebody, you can probably get shot, mm-hmm. and that's what happened in this case. But it's a sad story, but great song, and I hope maybe the background will help influence you guys to think different. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that one, mm-hmm. Brian. I, I have a greater appreciation. Yep. Now we're bringing it all back yeah. around to Bruce. Boy, this is dated for the 80s, isn't it? I think of it as more of a timeless song. It is indeed to me. Love that little keyboard. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, this is a story. Did, did he did he open for a Def Leppard ever? <laughs> <laughs> I think Def Leppard opened up yeah, for him. Yeah, Def Leppard after. Well, we better tell people who they are, who this is. This, ladies and gentlemen, is George Clinton from P Funk Parliament, and this is Atomic Dog. This is off the 1982 album Computer Games, and it was the last P-Funk song to reach number one on the U.S. R&B charts. It was not a hit, not a hit on the uh, U.S. Billboard Hot 100, but history proved that it was a hit after all. Uh Most of the lyrics were ad-libbed, and uh, I I found this on Wikipedia. Uh, Actually, it was at, uh, yeah, it was Wikipedia. Uh, talking about a lawsuit that was filed and how they described the making of this this uh, this song. So songwriters uh, David Spradley, Gary Schindler, and George Clinton created Atomic Dog in a recording studio in January 1982, working without a written score. Testimony at the trial indicated that the song was composed spontaneously. Spradley recorded the initial tracks in the studio and recorded that when George arrived, he had been partying pretty heavily. So imagine no, you that. think imagine he was, that. you know, feeling pretty good. I could see some blue smoke going through the studio. Absolutely, it was. Uh, he was unsteady at the microphone. So Spradley and Gary Schinder got on either side of him. We just kind of kept him in front of the microphone while Clinton recorded the vocal tracks the same night. What I remember about Parliament. Parliament Funkadelic with George mm-hmm. Clinton. That I remember that because when I was living in California in Anaheim, the, the Anaheim Angels played in the stadium, and Kiss had came and played there, and they had they sold out the stadium in, in '76. Then P Funk and 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 the Mothership arrived. Mothership ride, and it was a show. Also, Th- that was the thing is they both had basically it was a similar thing. Just one was more soul. Another was more rock, mm-hmm. and I mean, Parliament. I mean, the Funkadelic, just it was jamming up, and I just remember that one selling out the stadium tour also. And that was in '76. Obviously, we're several years later, and George Clinton is still iconic in in, in soul music. Now, now, kids, if this sounds familiar to you, here's where you might have heard this. It's been in a few films recently. It was in 102 Dalmatians, Rugrats Go Wild, Hotel for Dogs, The Shaggy Dog, (laughs) Finn on the Fly, Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde, The Fresh Pence Prince of Bel-Air, Boomerang, Scooby-Doo from 2002, Menace to Society and Trolls World Tour. Sounds like a lot of kids TV shows. (laughs) I remember seeing it on Trolls World Tour. Do you now? Yes. My grandkids were watching it. (laughs) There you have it. But my favorite line, I don't know, it's just, why must I feel like that? Why must I chase the cat? Nothing but the dog in me. Nothing but the dog in me. (laughs) And then that dog. (laughs) Man, that's, uh, that is Funkadelic. Oh my goodness, yes. All right, top hits of January 1983, Minute Work, Down Under. That yeah. was that number one song going yes. on there. That was a, actually a fun song. I enjoyed that. Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney had this, The Girl Is Mine. The Doggone Girl Is Mine. We, we talked about Don Henley, Dirty Laundry. was, And that, that, was, was, that was a fun, and that was a good dance song, too. Kick it to the left. <laughs> 
Daryl Holland, John Oates had the worst song ever, Man Eater. I <laughs> hated that song. Watch out, boys. She'll chew you up. Yeah. yeah. Then the fun song. Tony Basil had, hey, Mickey, you're Mickey. so fine. Yes. Never cared for that one. Great pick, Bruce. Atomic that was fun. Mm. Yeah, very good. So now we're going to move on to our instrumental from January of 1983, and we pulled a track off of a the Triumph album. Yeah, it was off of Never Surrender, and Rick Emmett is the person who's playing this guitar, and he's a classically trained guitarist. On every Triumph album, they do some uh, song or really? whatever, just kind of showing him off. So there's mm-hmm. always some instrumental on one of the Triumph songs. So this is one that we're doing. It's called the epilogue off the album. And we're not going to get... We'll, we'll obviously do a Triumph. Uh, we did yeah. a Triumph on Allied yeah, Forces we did Allied before. Forces before. And Great I'll, group. Love them. I got Lay It on the Line coming up sometime. But we usually just use this time to kind of pick up what we haven't uh, focused on. But... Uh, just really music of January 83. Uh, 10th American Music Awards uh, were done in January. And John Cougar, Rick Springfield, and Olivia Newton-John were the big winners on that. I remember her album, uh, Physical. Yeah. Oh, it was huge. Yeah, it was, and I saw that tour. She did, yeah. She's a great performer. But yeah, I believe that, that was the biggest song of 1980. I mean, it was like 10 weeks at number one. Yeah. And they showed a physical. Something they, ridiculous. And the funny thing uh, is that they show, a, you know, the videos showing somebody working out in the gym. That song had absolutely nothing to do with being in a gym and working no. it. So no. I thought that was a funny irony. Go ahead, uh, Wayne. That's all right. Uh, some of the albums that came out, Grand Funk had What Funk, uh, but I think time had already passed them by by that time. Yeah. Uh, Smokey Robinson had Touch the Sky. Christopher Cross had Another Page. Randy Newman had Trouble in Paradise. We almost did that. That was the one I love. Is that the LA. one that uh, I love LA? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rhythmics had Sweet Dreams. Yeah, Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, I like that one. And then the big album that came out in January 1983, Brian Adams' Cut Like a Knife. Mm. That was such a good album. Mm-hmm. But... You've been listening to What the Riff of January 1983. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. Hope we see you next time. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Collin Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Rift?